Hello again. This is a new episode of our ISA Talk podcast series. Today I have the honor to speak to Cherry Hu. Cherry is an award-winning journalist and researcher who's been covering the intersection of music, technology and business for over five years now. She runs her own newsletter and membership community, Water and Music, which is, in her own words, dedicated to unpacking the fine print of innovation in the music business. Cherry is also a writer with articles in Billboard, Forbes, NPR Music, Pitchfork, Rolling Stone and many other publications. For the first time now, she's also a jury member of the International Sound Awards. For me, it was really fascinating to dive into so many different topics with Cherry. She's definitely a person who, out of passion and curiosity, is connecting the dots within the music business. As the time was limited, I didn't have the chance to cover all the topics, so we concentrated on artificial intelligence, marketing and virtual reality, basically. One important takeaway for me was that the music industry could learn a lot from the gaming industry when it comes to integrating VR in musical applications to create impressive, interactive and tactile experiences. And that musical experiences in general would profit from a more playful approach. So enjoy this new Isotalk. Hi, Sherry. Thank you very much for taking the time to talk to me today. I already said some words about you in my introduction, but please tell us a little bit more about yourself. How would you describe yourself as a person? And when did you decide to make a career out of your passion for innovation, music and technology? Yeah, yeah. thank you. Thank you again um, for having me for this interview. So uh, in summary, I am a music and tech journalist and researcher I write my own newsletter and, <clears throat> sorry, and run my own membership community under the umbrella Water and Music. Um, and I also am a pretty frequent freelance writer. So I write about music and tech for, um, like for publications like Billboard, Music Business Worldwide, NPR Music, Pitchfork, um, a variety of publications in tech and in business. And I've been doing that for um, almost five years now. So I started in 2015. And my path to getting to this point of writing about music and tech was super nonlinear. It was like not expected at all that I would be writing professionally, but I would say music has been the one consistent through line um, throughout my path to where to getting to where I am now. So I grew up uh, classically trained in piano, and that was my main activity. I would say growing up, like I was the kind of person who like practiced like three hours a day after school and like did a bunch of like competitions and concerts and stuff. So I, I was very intense with it. Um, and, and I was pretty close to going that route, like going to conservatory to study piano full time. So that would have been a very different path. Um, but that like world in general is very near and dear to me still in terms of like that creative side. And I also was really into math and uh, stats growing up. And I studied that in college as well, alongside music. So I was starting to think about the intersection of those two fields from an early stage. Um, I guess first on the music theory side, but then as I learned more about the music industry, um, being more curious as to how people working in music like understood data or like worked with data or just how tech in general is impacting the way music is created. Um, and then I guess 
yet created and then consumed and then marketed as well. Just like all steps of, of the music industry. Um, still super fascinated by those questions. And then I just happened to run into an editor at Forbes in 2015 who was looking for more people to cover music and tech. It was a super serendipitous meeting. Um, I had done like some academic research on the topic leading up to that point and a couple of like industry internships. But um, yeah, never did I even like think that writing about this field would be like possible as a career path. I mean, yeah, I, I like not even known that much about freelance journalism at the time, but Forbes in particular had an interesting approach where they wanted to like recruit experts in like a really specific niche field to be part of their like contributor base. And so they wanted someone who's like specifically like focused on streaming and music or like startups and music. And so they're super aligned with what I was interested in at the time. Um, I, yeah, my only writing sample at the time was just like a blog that I'd started for free on WordPress. And it was like very scrappy, but I, I'm super fortunate that they were interested in that. And that's kind of how I fell into writing, I guess, as a career. And I've just really enjoyed the bird's eye view perspective that writing affords. Like I can cover basically anything I want in my specific beat of music and tech, um, not just like record labels, not just artists, um, but also like the live industry, which is especially relevant like this year in terms of like where that's going in the future. And um, yeah, just being able to like study the music industry on a higher level. Um, I'm very motivated by that and just like connecting the dots among everything that's happening. So yeah, I've like done a couple uh, it, like industry facing internships after that, but always came back to writing. So I've decided to stick with that full time. Mm. So that's really exciting. Um, I had a look on your website, of course, and I saw all the, the articles you gathered there. And it really gives us a good impression about all the different topics and, and areas you cover. So that's really fascinating. Um, yeah, in our um, podcast here, we don't have enough time to cover them all, but I selected a couple of them. So um, a first topic I would like to dive deeper into is artificial intelligence. It seems that there's an enduring fear in the music industry that AI will replace the artists we love and uh, in a way end creativity as we know it. So what do you think about the use of AI in the music industry? Where are the chances and what it's, it is at risk? Yeah, uh, I think it's a super interesting and definitely important topic. Um, there, there are a couple of, uh, I guess, like myths or like common um, like conventions about thinking about AI and music that, that I want to address. So one is that, Yeah, people do often frame it as like, a, like both inside and outside of music, right? So like AI is going to steal our jobs. And then like in music, it's like AI is going to steal artists' careers. Um, as of right now, like AI it is, like in and of itself does not have like agency. Like AI will only do what humans, you know, tell it to do. So I think like the reality is that AI will not steal artists' jobs. Um, human beings who are motivated by that will will steal our jobs like people who like whether it's like executives who just want to automate everything um or you know people who are just like driven by commercial profit motives or like efficiency motives like those those are the like the very human incentives that will steal artists jobs so that's just something to keep in mind in terms of like who actually has like 
who actually has the most control in these situations and like who we should be talking to about like how we use this tech. Um, it's like it, it is like a managerial decision in terms of how different like companies use it. Um, and then two, this is this is my personal opinion, but I think that um, people, or I think that that the the statement or the claim that like AI is going to be stealing artists' jobs is actually like an underhanded uh, insult to like people's to people's inherent creativity because it's assuming that like people are already creating like robots. So it's like, oh, we're already like uh, our creative process is already like uh, very robotic. It might as well be automated away by AI. I think that's absolutely untrue, and and you see this in already in like some of the most interesting musical projects that came out in the last year or so that incorporated AI. Um, I so some examples. I, I wrote an article a while ago about um, artists who were using voice synthesis, so like artists who. Um, collaborated with developers to essentially make uh, clones of their own voices that they then use like as instruments in their music. And it was like really interesting commentary. It was that it was, it was commentary on the role of the human voice. Um, and like what, what happens when it's like fully detached from yourself and just kind of lives like on its own. And um, there's one specific album, Holly Herndon's um, Proto, I believe that um, like she used her own voice as like an instrument, as like a, as like a synthesized instrument in her album, like separate from her own actual voice recording, and like the the end result is like very uncanny, but super interesting, is super thought provoking, um, and that's not something AI can do. Like Holly, the artist, still played a really important role, kind of on the front lines as a um, curator, I guess, of all of the sounds that this like voice synthesis algorithm generated around her voice. Um, and it was still like her creative message at the end of the day. AI was just a tool to create also, especially with her voice, create new sounds using the tone of her voice that would not be possible for her to make as like a human being, um, which yeah, that, that can be scary, which is understandable, but I think it's, um, I think it's, it's important to drive home that none of these sounds are being made. Um, without some kind of human intent to like tell the AI to do so-and-so. And so I think that's what we really have to examine is the human intent. If the human intent is to replace artists and just to make like exact copies of them, then of course that that's a problem um, that we have to address. But I think like the most interesting projects using AI and music are like definitely much more collaborative, definitely um, whatever, like yeah, AI-driven tools, like artists are artists are using them to help their own creativity and like they absolutely have the last word. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Okay. That's uh, yeah. I mean, that's a really fascinating example you just gave. Um, in one of your articles for Billboard, um, you say that the major labels are gradually warming up to the notion that data and gut don't simply cancel each other out, but rather are most powerful when they coexist. So um, uh, yeah, This is perhaps one example um, in this direction, but could you give other examples which are true for, for the music industry especially? Yeah, definitely. I think, um, yeah, so I, I, I think, yeah, I did write about that in, in the context of like AI and creativity, but I think that like gut versus data conversation has manifested the most on the marketing side. So 
um, especially a couple of years ago, there were all of these, um, all of these tech startups that came up that claimed to essentially automate a big part of the A and R process for record labels. So they they would like scour all the major streaming services and social media platforms and say, um, these are the top ten or twenty artists who should be on your radar right now, who are like growing the most quickly. Um, have the most engaging social media like following, um, and like, and I th- th- there there were a couple of startups that like did introduce record labels to artists, especially rappers, that they like ultimately ended up signing and ended up becoming really big. Um, but I think for for the most part, um, the the success rate was um, not as high as I think people expected because it it definitely like flattened the idea of what A&R was to just like, to just a set of numbers and being like, Oh, it's, it basically turned like, uh, how do you say this? It basically turned the idea of like success in music to like the success of an athlete is how I think about it. Right. Like we're like, like the success of an athlete, like there are all these stats that you can track across every sport the game is like very contained, and so um, that's like a pretty like I guess reliable way of like you know tracking success in a game. Whereas like that's not possible in music. I mean, there are just so many factors that can determine an artist's success. A and R doesn't end when you sign the artist. There's like so much more work you have to do to like rally everyone at a, at a lab- at a record label around your artist to convince them that they should be a priority to make sure everything's in line. It's like, it's a very, it's such like a people and emotion driven business in the best and in the worst way in terms of like where you have to like, ex- like where you have to devote all of your energy in terms of like um, convincing people in like a, yeah, a, quite a subjective way in ter- of the the significance and the importance of like a, a given artist. So um, yeah, so I think, data and data analysis tools, whether it's like on a streaming or social media platform or independent, it um, it arms us with more information in general, especially on a global level in terms of how a given artist or song or album is doing, which is great. Like previously, there's so much friction to, to be able to get that information. Um, and so now it's like basically seamless, but but that, that 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 that's just the first step in like a business like music that's so people driven, in a business like music that is more emotional that doesn't just treat artists as athletes, which I think is a good thing. Um, and so, yeah, so that that's where like the gut and the kind of emotional um, empathy side of things comes in. And then on the like AI and creativity side, just quickly, I think um, like where gut and data work really well together. So this Holly Herndon album is a great example. And there are a lot of like other ones too that are similar. Um where I guess data is being used to uh both to like synthesize someone's voice or just to um generate uh you know a certain musical idea. But then also just by nature of um one algorithm or like what a computer can do, generating a huge volume of ideas um at like within a short amount of time, right? So like, I think, I, I don't think it's quite at this point yet, but like a, a conception a lot of people have is that you can, like with the click of a button, you can make a hit song. Like that. that's kind of like where people like see this going. I, I'm like 
kind of skeptical about that because um, AI can like generate a lot of ideas. Right now, um, it, it it can't really have like an opinion. It can't tell you whether um, like a certain musical idea is good or interesting, um, whether it like will really move the needle, especially in terms of like what we're hearing on the radio or just what's happening in culture in general. For that, I think you really need like manual human input. So yeah, so that's where, so sure on the creativity side, the data side and like the, the computing side is super powerful in terms of generating a lot of ideas, like experimental ideas in a short amount of time. Whereas like otherwise as a songwriter, you might be in a studio for like seven hours or producer, you know, like trying to come up with the best idea. What if you could like generate a lot of potential ideas, you know, using a tool like AI in a studio, and then you ju- are just going through them and picking the ones that like c- probably there's probably a good chance that there's an idea there that comes closer to what you were envisioning for your music, um, just because the like the space of like possibilities musically is a lot larger. And I think that combination is especially powerful as well. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. So the human component is still very important. That's uh, also a good message, I think. Yeah. Um, and yeah, in, in the article we just mentioned, you also um, say that um, human-made music is not so easy. Um, is is um, better to sell than AI-generated content because of the identity-driven backstory. So in this case, the personality of the of the artist or um, of a band. Um, but what if a virtual artist was set up to market the music? For example, um, could it be an option to build a virtual musician brand? Do you think this could become a trend? Totally. So um, you're already seeing this happening with a handful of companies. So there's a company called Brad based in Los Angeles that... Um, manages or oversees a lot of virtual influencers. It's like how people call them. So they like their main channel is Instagram. Um, they have like collectively a couple million followers. Um, but one of them, uh, Lil Michaela, is also like releasing music. Um, she like has a couple million streams herself on Spotify, releasing a bunch of singles. Um, and then so aside from Brad, there's another company called Strange Loop Studios, also based in LA, that is like that is putting together a virtual label um, and that they're like work, they're building a bunch of like virtual artists from the ground up um, with, with their own like independent narratives, not tied to any existing human being. But with, so with that model as well, I, I was doing research in this space um, more, more recently, like last month. And I found uh, two things. So one, these models, it's not, it is not fully automated at all. Um, I, yes, yes, it is true that their main overhead is en- uh, engineering. Like, I think across all of these teams, this is like one fundamental difference from a traditional record label. The vast majority of their staff are engineers and like engineers are really expensive. Um, and so, especially if you're in the world of like 3D art and like game design and all that. So um, they are like tech companies, but with like an entertainment and culture component. And then also, you see this especially with Brad and, and their founder, Trevor McFedries, has um, like openly said this. Their model is a lot more similar to um, like what Marvel or Disney is doing, in that they're building out 
this cast of characters, like fictional characters that can live across like all of these different channels. Um, so it's not, it's not like trying to like replace musicians per se. It's just like a more interesting, it's like a fictional character in this like parallel world. And with, so with Michaela specifically, um, yeah, so I, I know it, like her, the operations are like super expensive and that's like tons of people working on like uh, engineering her. If you look up her, her account on Instagram, it's like very hyper-realistic. So that takes a lot of engineering work as well. But then also if you look at her music, um, her latest single I think has like five or six songwriters and producers behind it. So it's like really an ensemble operation. It's, and like to my to my understanding, there's no like, AI-driven composition behind the scenes. Um, if so, it's probably minimal. It's it actually is like a very traditional songwriting and and like producing operation behind the scenes for Michaela's music specifically. And I've noticed that a lot of these like virtual artist labels that are coming up um, intentionally want to bring like real life human artists into the fold, whether it's like to just to advise the company or um, also to like write songs for this um for like a given virtual artist and that that's something that's a little um i guess unsolved yet in terms of uh like whether so say say you have a virtual artist and a human artist collaborating who has like the most prominence in the collaboration or in the narrative because like in the case of Michaela you only really see Michaela's name you'll only and and you'll only know the songwriters if you like click through on Spotify to see the credits, you know, behind the scenes or something. Whereas with um, Strange Loop, this other virtual label, they're, um, I think they're explicitly like calling it a collaboration between so-and-so human artist and this avatar. And so, so that's interesting in that like the, um, thinking about like virtual artists and identity, um, a lot of it, like in, in, in some cases, a lot of it does rely on like the existing identity of human artists to help, I guess, introduce the virtual artist to, to a new audience. Um, yeah. So all this to say, it's like still very experimental. There are some um, companies that are, have successfully built identities behind virtual artists, but they're not AI artists. All of the creative labor behind the scenes is super manual. It's just that the representation on the public facing side is a fictional character. Um, yeah, so I think that that's like one misconception about like the most popular avatars in the space right now. Mm-hmm. Okay, so that's interesting. There's more to come for sure. Yeah. And I will check out little Michaela on Instagram because I haven't heard of her before. Okay. Yeah, and what impact do you think AI will have on musical genres? For example, um, back then, the advent of synthetic instruments brought about completely new genres at the time. Do you think this is also possible with AI? Um, or do you think that it will rather be an implementation of our actual rules given to the algorithm? Yeah, this is a this really good example of like really the the end result depending on the humans who build it. Like the end result depending on the people who are um, developing these algorithms, developing this technology. Like is is the goal, because yeah, because these algorithms will only do, yeah, what we build them to do or we tell them to do. So 
Um, I, I definitely see two at, at least. Oh, sorry. I, I I definitely see at least two different camps here. So on one camp, you have um, definitely interesting and impressive musical projects that are trying to replicate existing artists and genres to the point where like you can't distinguish between um, the AI you know driven music and the original music. I think the most convincing examples of this are in classical music, which makes sense because especially going back to like the Baroque period um, with Bach and and his peers, there's like there are a lot of like set rules for music theory that I think are like easiest to code. Um, and then there the, yeah there's one company um, called OpenAI that recently released uh, an interesting project that tried that like automatically generated music and lyrics in the style of like a ton of legacy celebrities like Elvis Presley, um, more more recent like artists like Jay-Z, um, bunch of like rappers and like rock and pop artists and even like replicating their voices. And it isn't like it hasn't totally gotten there, but but it's quite close in my opinion. So that's one school, like replicating what's already happening. And of course if you do that, people are gonna say like, is your goal to replace us? Like what is like what is the goal of like replicating um, existing celebrities at, at such a large scale? So there's that side, and then one side that I think is like underexplored is how how do you use AI and how do you use creative AI to make sounds that like no that no one has ever heard before? Um, and that, that it's a really like abstract question, but I think a really powerful one, and you've. You're, you're seeing like some people try to do this in the world of computer vision, where um, people are asking like, how do you make a human face that doesn't exist, or like a human face that no one has seen but that is totally possible, based on the people like living um, on Earth today, and yeah, especially if you think about like uh, the music that's the most interesting throughout history. Or like the most iconic music and artists, they always they they almost never are like completely replicating something that came before them. They're always like adding something new into the mix. Um, and so, yeah, I think I think with AI, I mean, yeah. So the, I guess it should be said this is something that artists are are already doing, um, independent of AI in terms of like combining various genres. Um, yeah, I would argue that like traditional genre boundaries between like hip hop and pop and R&B and uh, like an electronic, like it's all, it's really all blending together to the point where like the genre tags themselves do not reflect the art that's being made. It like, it's only like, like, like a marketing tool. Um, but yeah, I think you, you can use AI to push that even further in terms of like, how do you combine previously um like previously exclusive or like disparate genres in a really interesting way um i know google with their magenta project which is dedicated to creative ai they've worked on a couple of things where like how how can you combine the sound of like a trumpet with the sound of a piano like how does that even work like how do you combine their 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 timbres and they've like built a tool for artists to experiment with that um that's certainly more interesting to me because then it like creates new um like it creates new instruments it creates new creative tools for the artist to then run off with 
in their um in their own creative work, which I think is interesting and much more exciting than the prospect of just like replicating something that um that that already exists. Which I think that like that first school may be important to create um like a AI artist or like virtual artist that's like maybe more convincing. Um, but even then, like, I wonder, is that even the point? Is the point to be convincing or is the point to be interesting and to like push the boundaries of what's possible in art? Yeah, still, still an open question. So again, in a way, technology fuels creativity. That's um, what AI, uh, AI is used for and yeah, what it's good for, for, for artists, artists and music, musicians. Cool. Okay, so that was a lot on AI. Let's um, jump over to our next topic, which should be uh, marketing. Just uh, a short look on marketing. Um, online fan bases, they're really Im important for artists, but can be really challenging too. So social media platforms often don't allow for the degree of personalization an artist would like to have. However, the artist, uh, for the artist, it's crucial to stay in close contact with the fan base. And especially in Corona times, when lots of artists don't have any chance to, to perform live, the online platforms are the only way to connect and interact with the fans. So do you see new applications or developments in this area that could offer artists new opportunities to interact with their fans? Yeah, definitely. I think... Um so I, I think in the in the past couple of months, uh, with with the impact of the the COVID nineteen pandemic, I think this is also true um, both like inside and outside of music. I think the pandemic has accelerated so many trends in um, culture and ambitious that that were already happening, um, but just because everyone is like stuck at home and in lockdown or in quarantine, um, just like. What would what would have otherwise taken like five years just happened in like two months, and I think one one trend that was already happening in music was that um, this is, this is my opinion, but I think if you like follow how like certain trends start in music in terms of like cert how certain songs get popular, I think this this is largely true at least in like mainstream um, genres or styles like pop or hip hop. Um, Video is a, like a much stronger leading indicator of music culture than audio. Like audio, like audio streaming services like Spotify. This is just my opinion, but I think it's I, I think it's largely true. They are no longer like tastemakers or gatekeepers in the sense of like um, really driving cultural tastes. I think they more so reflect it um, and like catch up to it, catch up to what's happening on other platforms. And especially in the past couple months, like ground zero for a lot of like really interesting music culture has been like TikTok. So like videos made on TikTok and like live streams. So live streams on like Instagram, um, Facebook and Twitch. Like you, you're with um, specifically in the US, there's a series called the Versus Battles where they bring a lot of like or they bring two famous artists or producers together at a time and kind of go back and forth sharing and talking about like their their biggest hits those have attracted like over 700,000 concurrent viewers um at you know at at the same time um at their peak for just one given event 
Um, that's like really like a cultural moment. Um, and that's not happening on like Spotify or these like audio first streaming platforms. And so, um, yeah, so all, all that to say, it's like, yeah, again, this is nothing new about the music industry, but it's, it's a more, it's a more visual industry than ever. I would argue in terms of like how people relate to music, how people discover music, um, certainly video centric now more than ever. And not, not just with music videos, right? It goes to like shorter videos on TikTok and then longer session, like live sessions, um, via live streaming. And then also like live interacting with fans live in general, um, is a much more like powerful way of connecting with them. Um, and it's like real, both the engagement and if you're on the right platform, like the monetization is real time. Um, so that's a lot more powerful than, um, just like buying a social media ad. Cause yeah, like that, that doesn't feel very personal. It doesn't feel very intimate. Um, and so, yeah, so I'm, I'm excited for seeing how those experiences evolve in terms of how you host like live experiences online. Um, how you maintain a sense of like closeness and intimacy when you can reach a much bigger audience, but they're like definitely more detached. Um, and they likely you don't have their full attention for a live stream, at least one that's happening for free. Um, so yeah, that, that's what comes to mind. That's what comes to mind for me, like video being really like the number one leading indicator of music culture and kind of how that evolves into multiple forms of video. Like the static music video is not enough, I would argue. Um, there needs to be a lot other, a lot of other kinds of video live or on demand around that. Mm -hmm. Okay, cool. So one more really big topic is virtual reality. In November 2018, you wrote an article on Forbes about it with the title, What's the Actual Business Case for Virtual Reality in Music? We'll also put the link to this article in our show notes, so uh, our listeners can also read your articles, of course. And in this article, you say that one problem why VR hasn't been that successful in music business is that most of the musical VR applications haven't truly taken advantage of VR's unique capabilities at a, as a technological medium. So how could the music industry use VR technology in a more successful way, according to you? Yeah, so just to elaborate um, on that argument, I think I think it's changed now, but at the time, um, like a lot of the music and VR apps that were written about the most or that were invested in the most, at least from the major label side um, or the promoter side, just essentially put like 360-degree uh, concert footage into a VR environment. And the only way you could interact with it was by, like, changing the angle by which you were viewing it. Which, like, yes, to an extent, that is cool in that you can either watch it from the audience or be on stage, you know, ne next to the performers during, during their concert. But, like, that level of interactivity is so low compared to what is possible in the medium of VR in terms of, like, what you can design, um... Think, like things you can actually like pick up and hold and like touch in VR. Um, like there, there's none of that in this very traditional approach to VR concerts. Um, and so, yeah, so, so I, I'm definitely seeing that change now. So interestingly, I think to, to experiment more with what's possible in like these more interactive concert formats, 
in part because people also want to reach larger audiences, the effort has largely shifted away from VR. And there's a lot more interest in AR um, and MR, mixed reality, and in gaming in particular. Because gaming, just think, thinking from the, uh, I guess from like a major labels perspective, they're always interested in the like market opportunity, right? And like how many how many people they can reach, let alone like um, how many people are like willing to pay for a given experience. And gaming is already like a huge proven market. I think um, the gaming industry made definitely more than ten times the amount of revenue that the music industry made. At least like the recorded yeah recorded and live um, last year on an annual basis. And so they've. It's a huge industry, definitely benefited from the transition to, you know, going fully, almost fully digital. Um, and a lot of these games have, like, inherently interactive 3D environments. And so I, I think this is why some of the most exciting, <clears throat> sorry, some of the most exciting online concerts that we've seen recently have been in games. Um, like Travis Scott's show in Fortnite being a prime example. Um, there are tons of venues and event organizers doing shows in Minecraft, which is a much more DIY, um, more, I guess, like 8-bit, like pixely kind of format, but it's like people have done really creative stuff with that too. Um, there are people building concerts in like Roblox or musical experiences, which is a similarly kind of open world, um, oh, yeah, like open world constructive kind of game. Um, yeah, and, and I think like these all these like concerts within games are proofs of concept for what you can do in VR in terms of like making the digital concert experience much more like tactile and interactive than um the alternative which is watching uh like a live stream a 2D live stream on Instagram or YouTube or Twitch or whatever where it's like the only level of interaction you have is just like the flat screen and maybe like a chat bar on the side. Like that is very restrictive. Um, and I think is like part of why artists are, and a lot of artists are like either, either fully disillusioned with live streaming or just like doubtful about its current form. Cause it's like super flat in, in terms of like comparison to how shows work in person. There's so little you can actually do to like express yourself let alone interact with the people around you. So, um, yeah, games which allow you, even something as, as simple but as powerful as giving each fan or audience member an avatar and allowing, like, them to control that avatar and, like, explore a given world. Like, you, So that's what, that's how these, like, concerts in Fortnite and Minecraft are structured. You have to actually, like, walk to the show. Like, that as a concept has has not really been explored um, out, outside of gaming and like the virtual concert space. So, so I look forward to seeing a lot of that. And I think once, uh, yeah. So I think once this concept gets normalized in a market as big as gaming, I think enough people will understand the value of that and then translate it to VR where, where of course you can do a lot more in terms of like making it feel even more real, um, and even more tactile because you are controlling it with your own body. At that point. Wow, yeah, that's really exciting. Mm. Um, yeah, and what do you think the next big thing in the music tech industry could be? Uh, what developments can we expect within the next few years? Very big question. Uh, there are a lot of, hmm, 
a lot of different trends come to mind. So are you, are you interested in, <clears throat> sorry, are you interested in like more on the creative side or are you also interested in more business facing trends as well? Um, yeah, whatever. So something uh, completely new, perhaps, um, or uh, yeah, whatever comes up <laughs> into your mind. Yeah, uh, I mean, one one of the trends that I think is most exciting is this this intersection of music and gaming. Or, and so okay, in general, I think that especially in a world where people are stuck at home, um, all kinds of industries are are realizing the benefits of a gaming environment where you take all the elements of gaming without making it competitive. Like you don't even have to have a game, just the concept of like a 3D world with a bunch of avatars that you can like customize and build these like very like interactive three-dimensional, you know, structures and experiences around. Like people are um People are thinking about this in the context of like meetings, like how do you make meetings more interesting aside from just like having everyone on Zoom, which is not a very, you know, interesting or easy experience to navigate or intuitive experience to navigate. Um, people are thinking about this, yeah, like in, in meetings, in concerts, with like meet and greet events in general. So I, I'm excited to see how that evolves in terms of music and gaming companies partnering with each other on like the actual experiential side. Um We, yeah, I guess we, we talked about AI and music. Um, I'm, I'm excited or I'm interested to see when the first major artist, like on the billboard charts or whatever, you know, local top music charts, admits to using AI in their song and actually makes a video for like how that works. I feel like that is is a really important turning point that has to happen for people to understand the role that AI plays like relative to artists' careers. Um, so I think that's absolutely going to happen within the next five years, if, if, not, um, if not a shorter time period. So I'm definitely excited about that. Um, right now, on the commercial side, I'm excited about um, people opening their minds beyond streaming to understand like future models for recorded music online because because i think uh especially in the past couple of months as the touring industry has essentially been decimated or like shows have been canceled in a lot of markets for a really long time certainly in the u.s um a lot of artists so a lot of artists relied on on shows for the majority of their income and then they uh all that gets canceled and they realize the only other main thing they have is music streaming like audio streaming which does not pay that well at all in terms of like The average per stream royalty rate for vast majority of artists, I would say, does not pay like a living wage. Um, and so, or like, yeah, just like enough income for them to pay their bills. And so there has been a lot of interesting conversation about um, other more sustainable digital revenue models for music. I think it's interesting that uh, with like the popularity of Bandcamp, that buying music, um, at least like in the US, where it was like primarily streaming dominated like the concept of buying music is like in again like people are buying more music from artists um bandcamp in particular they like waived their platform fees for three days so that all the um all the money would go directly to artists for whatever fans bought and i know activity they've they must have raised like close to 20 sorry they must have attracted close to 20 million in sales just like in those three days 
Um, and so I know fans are thinking a lot more critically about just how to best uh, support their artists with the most like direct and most immediate financial impact and that they know their money is all going directly to the artist and that they'll be able to get it as soon as possible. So it's Bandcamp. Um, I know that there's a lot more interest in like paid memberships. So like monthly membership programs, which again, isn't new. Like the uh, concept of an online fan club is not new, but I know platforms like Patreon have been growing really significantly across the board and especially in music. Um, So I'm excited to see whether that growth continues once, once shows come back and, um, how that will relate to streaming because I think memberships are definitely a lot more, uh, certainly a lot more predictable and a lot more direct than the dominant streaming model. So I'm excited for those conversations that that isn't so much about new tech so much as about reimagining the, the, the business and the, and the economics of being an artist in general and like how to use tech to make that as sustainable as possible, as opposed to just taking the current model for granted. Mm-hmm. Okay, really interesting stuff. And one last question. Uh, as I said in my introduction, you're also a jury member of the International Sound Awards 2020. And last week, uh, you also did the evaluation of the projects. Soon we will publish the first results. Um, so we, we can't um, say too much about the projects, but anyhow, uh, can you give us an idea about the projects, about the topics, about what really fascinated you perhaps, or if there's anything really new among the projects? So without naming any, any projects in particular. Yeah, there, there are two trends, or I wouldn't call them trends, just like, aspects of these projects that are exciting to me and that I would love to see more um, conversation about. So one is just making music more playful in really unexpected ways. Um, I think, uh, yeah, I, I, I'm, I'm just thinking like with a lot of, uh, in a specific context of COVID-19, like with people being stuck at home And as I was talking about like these live streams, a lot of them being um, being cool, but a lot of them also being very flat in terms of just being on your computer screen um, and like you being very restricted in terms of the actual interaction and expression you can have as both an artist and a fan. I'm excited to see like how to make those experiences more playful and more like ta- tactile as well and interactive. Um, so there are a couple of projects that like really take cool advantage of that beyond like the standard confines of having like a synthesizer or just like a launch pad like for standard music production like what are the new kinds of instruments that you can have that make it things a lot more playful um definitely interested in that and like bringing a sense of delight into like digital music production um very definitely enthusiastic about that and then there are also a couple of projects that <clears throat> sorry that uh brought to light the connection between um, sound and accessibility. And this is something that I actually have not thought too much about, but um, this did come up in conversation for me a while ago in terms of, like, this is just an open question, like how to build a concert experience um, specifically for neurodiverse audiences or for people who might, like, respond to... um, 
music in a certain way um, or who might have some kind of disability, like how can we build experience specifically for them? That's honestly like, not a perspective that I thought that much about and I want to like definitely want to read up a lot more on because I think it affects uh, enough of a portion of the population that um, if we build for them, they, they can actually like maybe like come out to more shows and have an experience they otherwise would be very averse to for, for whatever, you know, social reason. Um, and yeah, so there are, there's, there are a couple of projects here that, um, I guess use music and use sound as a way to communicate with neurodiverse people in, in a more interesting way and a more effective way than just like traditional means of like talking to them or like tapping into their emotions. So, um, yeah, I'm really interested in that just because the, the, the connections between, music and the brain in general are just like endless in, in what the possibilities are and how, and how you can embed that into technology. So I'm very excited about that as well. Cool. Yeah, I'm really excited about the jury results too. So that was so fascinating. I think um, we could go on, but the time is over. So thank you very much, Sherry. I really enjoyed our talk. And um, yeah, soon we will um, hear again for the International Sound Awards. Uh, we will perhaps meet you in September or let's, yeah, in a way, stay in contact, definitely. So thank you very much for your time. Yeah, thank you as well. It, yeah, was, really it was a real pleasure. Yeah. Okay, so take care, Jerry. Yeah, you too. Bye. Bye. Yeah, thanks for listening. I hope you enjoyed this ISA talk. Stay tuned for more updates about the ISA 2020. By the end of June, we will publish the first results of the jury rating. Take care and bye-bye.